0: So, cultivating or causing wisdom to develop. Wisdom is uh, said to be a uh, universal and basic factor of um, human consciousness, and it has the ability to discriminate to discern this from that. So, this this is the primary function of wisdom. It you knows this is this, that's that. And they're different. Mm-hmm. This is the wisdom of discernment. And in Dhamma practice we're using that to discern, you know, skilful from unskilful, appropriate from inappropriate. And stress from non stress, suffering from non suffering, stress from non stress. This is something that's you know, to keep a line, aligning it in this way. Much more useful than just discriminating between blue and pink or that's also a function of it, but you know, really the point most important thing is to not get lost in these sensory details. The sensory details are always uh, different differing things, you know, which we can prefer or the aim is just to go relax around that. Uh, it takes the pressure off the mind and and uh, lets our wisdom faculty focus on things that are more useful, wholesome, unwholesome. What leads to a bright result? What leads to a dark result? Yeah. What leads to clarity? What leads to muddledness? And what leads to... Increasing tension and aversion, what leads to weakening of it, what leads out of addictive behavior into freedom, and then what leads to stress, suffering, or what leads out of it. I mean, there's, there's a whole life of practice in that, this alone, getting these things clear, but we also have that uh, ability to retain and learn. It is is a learning experience and we should treat it respectfully in such a way so that it has the opportunity to learn you know, sort of beat it into shape or treat it like it's just the machine you, 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 know, you, focus, you point it at this, point it at that like it's some kind of gadget that you can scan things with but it's actually a sensitive system that can appreciate, assess uh, and, and it inclines towards learning, towards clarity, because it's when it makes it feel better. <laughs> you know, we feel better, we feel happy, we feel clearer, we feel less stress through the wholesome. And uh, so in this we're realizing there's a lot of potential know-how in, in the mind. This is the main, so the second kind of wisdom is the wisdom of know-how skillful means this is your really your main um, uh, energy of practice is in discovering skillful means and to write what skillful means at what time when is it appropriate mm-hmm firming up those skillful means, uh, refining them, dropping unskillful means. So this is the wisdom of of, um, upaya, skillful means. And you can say that uh, Dhamma practice is is by and large as practice is the uh, fashioning, the learning, development of steady handling and the result of skillful means. This is the main theme of Dhamma practice. it's It's a lightly active wisdom. Inquiring and assessing and tuning in and aligning. Aligning things. How do things settle and sit? How do they deepen and penetrate what's the most fruitful um field to cultivate we begin to recognize sense fields are really not that great you know, they're always going to lead to change uh comparisons this is better than that and uh and dependency so the best field to cultivate is the field of mind of citta. My attitudes, my energies, my dispositions, uh, and discerning these bala, these indriya, or which are the faculties, firming them up so they become bala, strengths. And they're the same. They're the same. But indriya is the the supportive, and bala is when they come into full fruition. They are. They have strength. They have power to push against and to sustain the citta against the mass of ignorance and craving so citta is the best field to cultivate because it's from this that the enlightenment factors the indriyas the parami all arise from the citta is it yeah This is the Dhamma field, you could say. It's right here in this very citta, in this heart-mind, in this awareness. And we have this potential. It's quite uh, quite an invitation to come explore. And uh, then we have... uh, The third kind of wisdom is the wisdom of realisation, which is not an active form. It's a wisdom just... Mm. Mm. Wisdom of realisation. What is realised? Well, this is expressed in a number of ways. The most um, common ways are realising the ending of dukkha, of stress, suffering, pressure, force, dra- being dragged, compelled, compulsiveness, mm. sorrow. And the path there too, which is the skillful means, and the way we can turn our lives around to align to this Truth can I can I speak in a way can I live in a way which doesn't lead to my suffering or the suffering of others? So it's very full integration of practice into our into our lives, to our karmic manifestation, into our you know this sensory world. There's the other. Common um, realization is realization of uh, um, codependent arising. Mm. Uh, Iddapacheyata. Codependent arising. it mm. Although this is uh, you know, a bit of a mouthful, but it really is a realization of an atta of anicha, of change, and of emptiness. These all are ways of expressing this. Um, Interpachyata means nothing, there's no such thing as a thing, essentially. There's the conjoining and merging of factors that give rise to things, the appearance of things. There's the merging, combining, synthesis, codependent coming together of form form factors and immaterial factors that give rise to the experience of things. But they're actually empty, empty of things. There's no such thing as a thing. They're empty of entityhood. They're empty of selfhood. They're empty, and because of this, they're empty of greed, empty of hatred, empty of delusion. Empty, if it's empty of self, then there's nothing to be acquired, greed. Empty of self, there's nothing to be defended or dominated. No, no need, empty of aversion, empty of delusion, empty of this self-consciousness. Hmm. Since there's no, if it's realization of an atta, what's there to be? Worried and fretful and anxious about and muddled about. Mm. And this this course, this emptiness, is in this way, is another way of looking at the end of stress and suffering. I mean, in the uh, Pali Canon, emptiness, um, voidness, is uh, generally seen in this light. Mm light of emptiness of these signs of greed hatred and delusion the emptiness of this is called the fullness one is full full of wisdom Uh, wisdom not just an idea but a sense of real realization which naturally is peaceful steady serene comfortable others may see it as radiant uh, and so forth so as I said, one's faculties are serene and bright. the sutra on the gathering purification of arms food, and the Buddha sees Sariputta coming along the road from his arms round. And he says, "Sariputta, you know, faculties are serene and bright. What is your abiding?" And Sariputta says, "Lord, my I abide in emptiness." And the Buddha says, "Very good, very good. This is the." abiding uh, to targeters is the abiding in void in emptiness he says what is this he says well when I walked through the town there was no greed there was nothing that arose stimulated any kind of greed or aversion or delusion there were people there was food there was things going on and nothing stimulated these signs greed, hatred and delusion Therefore, there's an abiding emptiness. And it's it's kind of a very nice little sutta because uh, you know you can it's it's some ways it's this very lofty language of realization, and yet basically he's just walking barefoot through some on a dirt track through some grubby little village. <laughs> <laughs> on one level, he's not on some mountain top with crystal clear skies. He's just going, there's probably chickens running around and cows and people doing their stuff. And he's realising emptiness there. And it, it's a nice one because it does help to give us the indications. There's sort of slight humour in it, I think. Yeah, He wasn't sitting, you know, at the root of a tree in blissful solitude. He was right out there on, on the main street. And uh, there's a kind of slightly... Teasing, to me, it's slightly teasing humor in that, uh, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, just can you imagine the scene. And it's encouraging, you yeah. know, like it says in the Mangala Sutta, while living in the world, one is not, um, you know, confused or agitated. Mm. Mm. dust doesn't land this is uh, abiding in emptiness always good to bear that in mind if your realizations can't walk down main street they're not really worth a hill of beans are they <laughs> they should be able to walk it uh, without getting you know, agitated or gripped or tense if you are more upaya is necessary, <laughs> more practice is necessary. So what is this this um, codependent arising? And I'm not talking about dependent origination, patijasamupada, at this particular time, which is a specific form of describing how the process of suffering takes place but the more broad formula idapatyata this depends on that with the arising of this is the arising of that with the ceasing of this is the ceasing of that with the non arising of this is the non arising of that so and using uh, walking, walking meditation as an example and a practice to be cultivated Because in walking meditation, it's more obvious, though in a way it's pretty much the same as sitting and standing in many respects, but it's a little more obvious that you have to keep meeting what arises. Because you the walking, things are definitely arising. There's the body moving, there's the fibers and textures of the body changing and shifting. There's the, you know, the, the sense of whatever the elements are doing, cool or warm, the visual contact, is washing through and so it's a continual you're in this sort of river of a rising phenomena and the theme is can there be a steadying can there be an emptiness within that and it's it's a good practice as I say, it's not really that much different from the other forms, but the other forms. But it um, does with more emphasis on that sense of don't linger, you know, don't get locked, uh, just stay flowing, stay fluid, and stuff is going to keep arising and passing. It also helps, I would suggest, to reinforce a. Uh, an understanding of where what uh, how attention should be placed, how mindfulness should be placed so we might have an idea of as I said this sort of one pointed. Um, theme that can be used and, mm, on a particular point, and the other thing is it's just this one point that you focus on, and there's only one point at a time happening. It's this touch of the breath somewhere, particular point you focus on. This is certainly, but then it, it leads to a certain. Um, fixity of attention and also that particular quality of focus is very akin to the visual sense which does that kind of thing well, you know, it, it, it locates a small point within a larger field and tries to hold that steady and you see that's what the visual focus does and along with that there's no, doesn't it's not doesn't take feeling in it's not about feeling anything it's about objective definition and so this line of um, practice can support this mode of attention which doesn't feel very much And the the observer becomes the dominant paradigm of the mind the mind is an observer mind is an observer means the mind is always separate from what's observing. And what's observing is holding steadily. This is then, this is the model. The mind gets shaped, the jitta gets shaped in that particular form. Uh, So when you, whatever attitude, whatever intention one puts into jitta will give it a certain shape. I hope you, this is not mysterious to you, but uh, you can feel it. Whatever intention you put into your chitta, this is called chetana, and that is one of the bases of sankara. And So it means your chitta takes on a certain disposition and a certain form, a certain subtle form. And the form here is narrow, and uh, it's a certain tightness to it. And that can be, feel kind of has a certain kind of a certain gratifying sense because you really know you're doing it, you know you're meditating, you definitely know you're doing it and you're get a certain energy that arises with that. The problem is that uh it takes pretty steady willpower to keep that that there, which again one is generally if you're in the f- up for it <laughs> You're ready to contribute that because this is a noble goal we're seeking. We're seeking it. Mm. And so, yeah, and, and So this sort of model does hold together as a, as a skillful means. And in some respects, it certainly helps to, uh, can help to eliminate um, distracting thoughts. But it creates a kind of pressure, and it doesn't really allow the uh, object of our attention to speak back. You see what I mean? (laughs) Uh, And in fact, why would you want it to? Well, if you want to really be with the breathing and and get the sense of happiness and joy and ease, where's that going to come from? you're holding your jitta tight in a focus that doesn't feel very much where you're going to get that sense of happiness and joy and ease from? You know, if we contemplate and read through the Anapanasati sutta, you'll see this definite uh, intention is just to stay with breathing in and out and it doesn't specify a particular point just the process of that and all we need to know is something long, something short, and then sensing the entirety of the body and thoroughly sensitive to it. And this quality, this turning and training in sensitivity, yeah? the words used before that are just one is directly aware of breathing in and out, then it becomes one has to train in it. So definitely there is an intention here. Definitely there is an intention here. And that intention will will def- we'll give a shape to the mind. But what is the inten- when the intention is to be thoroughly sensitive, what do you think the result is in your citta? Your citta becomes kind of soft, quiet, open, because sent- it has to be receptive. If you mean sensitive to something, it has to be pretty delicate, attuned. Particularly with something as evanescent transit as, a, as breathing which is shifting all the time you've got to be pretty light to pick up that and sensitize to all that and then the intention then is having fully you know, use that skillful means then we intention to calm soothe it's like a benevolent touch this is much more using, metaphorically, the kind of attention that touch will have. Which, considering we're dealing with a bodily process, kind of makes sense. As bodies touch things. And you notice the touch sense is rather different from the eye sense. When you touch something, it touches you, you feel something immediately. And when you touch something, your mental inclination becomes very apparent. Whether you're aggressive, or wanting something, or healing something, or calming something, you definitely those intentions very much affect the touch. And what you're touching will affect that. If what you're touching is sharp or angular or sticky, that will affect how you touch it. So it's really an interplay between the, the apparent subject and the apparent object. the two are coming together. because the training is that at a certain quality of the intention is like this, and then that quality of one's intention is coming through, you know, the citta into the somatic field. somatic field receives that arms feels happier feels more comfortable Chitta picks up that quality of feeling comfortable hmm? the two support each other because the jitta, the body feels more comfortable the chitta feels more comfortable this is this is harmony right and the meeting of the two does a sense of something delightful because nobody's pushing anything there's no observer pushing things along Mm. there's no dominating anything. Uh, and the body, bodily somatic vibrancy comes alive, of wakes up, feels light, fresh, and Chitta feels light and fresh, called piti, rapture, and sukha, ease, comfortable. Mm. Shape of the mind, the form of the mind, Difficult to say. It certainly, hasn't got sharp edges to it. It's light, but what is the defining characteristic of all of that? In the the whole 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 the holistic medium of that, the whole thing harmony. And harmony is perhaps a very useful term to sit next to or. Samadhi. Is Samadhi harmonious? Would that be what unification means? Things are in harmony. Would that fit? Mm. And how does that feel? Mm. And when things are in harmony, what self is needed? To things are fine by themselves. You don't need somebody owning it, pushing it along. Mm. Right. and in that harmony, there's your one-pointedness, there's the one point, factors have come together, this is where the one point, but it's not a one point like a pinprick, it means there's one theme in mind, which is the harmony, and within that we might discern you know, bodily factors, mental factors, blending, merging, shifting, turning, impermanent, changing. No separate self. No separate self. Mm -hmm. So this is the the harmony. Mm -hmm. It's like how you how you um, draw things together. It's like the analogy of the two kinds of sheepdogs. Obviously, you realise I've studied dogs much of my life, (laughs) and so you know the two kinds of sheepdogs. One is called a a collie collie dog. At least in Britain, they're called collie dogs. They're kind of like uh, got sharp, pointy noses and sharp eyes, and they're pretty pretty intelligent creatures. Amazing creatures, and they a little bit looks a little bit like a wolf but smaller and they they control the sheep by running around them the sheep bunch up because the sheep are anxious about this wolf-like thing that's running around so they cluster together and the collie dog the sheep, this kind of sheepdog is so clever it can move sheep along it can kind of with its even with its eyes the sheep will move that way if it looks at them with a stare they, they move that way he can get them to go over bridges or through fences and so forth. So he can control them outside with his eyes. He can even just crouch on the ground and look at them and they'll kind of clump, they'll clump together. It gets those so sheep get concentrated. <laughs> <laughs> this is probably the most common kind of sheepdog. There's another kind of sheepdog and in Britain, they call, they call them old English sheep dogs. I don't know whether they are English. They're big shaggy things. And they look a bit like a sheep. Because <laughs> they've got a lot of shaggy hair. And they, they're not, they don't look like wolves at all. They look somewhere like a, rather like a sheep. And these dogs, because the sheep think, that, oh, this is one of us, they go inside the herd, the flock of sheep, and the, the sheep trusts this dog because it's inside the herd. And when the dog starts moving this way, the sheep follow it. <laughs> <laughs> and this dog, but well, this is a dog. So if if a predator comes near, then that 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 dog runs out of the the uh, flock, the flock of sheep, and chases the fox or the wolf off. But, so it's definitely a dog. But then the sheep bring him in, and so he because he feels like one of them. This is also concentration, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but where one is very much herded from the outside, the observer. The other one is mediated from within it. The participator, that which blends. Mind not separate. The intention is not separate. The chetana is actually meeting what arises and flowing with it. Ready to run out if need be if a hindrance comes by. But essentially pretty much in there, just settling in, perhaps even enjoying the fellow, fellow, fellowship of fellow sheep. <laughs> 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 and within that, there's probably a fair amount of movement, you know, moving around, sheep moving around, and yet they're in harmony. So there's no greed, no hatred, no, no delusion, no separate self trying to make it work, hmm. wondering how to do it. Because it's the jitta's nature, hmm. when it's in this uh, felt proper skillful relationship with the directly experienced body, it's the jitta's nature. Is to feel in harmony because that's where it arose from. This somatic field is where the chitta arose, you know, or we could say it the other way around: the somatic field arose from the chitta because they're really two aspects of the same thing—a certain vibrant intelligence. So you get the sense of the. Samadhi as this meeting and merging through sensitivity accompanied by happiness and ease. Uh, Wisdom faculty not having other things to do, not having to figure out what it's supposed to be doing not having to figure out how long this goes on for not having to keep you know comparing it oneself with others am i at this stage or that stage not needing to do that the wisdom faculty is then released from its work settled it's done enough mm-hmm. to arrive at this state now it's released from that job and the wisdom faculty can then wisely realize how it is the experience, anicca, changeability. What we experience is not separate things at all, but the co-dependent arising of energetic formations, tendencies, you know, qualities, vibrancies that tend towards becoming body tend towards becoming moods, tend towards the becoming thoughts, the vibrant arising of these. And the passing of them, if they're not adhered to, clung to, worried about, objected to, fascinated by or disappointed by. Hmm. So this, if this is uh, fully realized, then there's nothing here to be offended by, disgusted by, Hold on to then the sense of dispassion. It's just this. Hmm. Ceasing, cessation, quiet. There's no comment. There's nothing more to say, or do, or make, or achieve, or become, or get rid of. It's just this. Mirolda. Um, what is... Vati the kind of relinquishment of the very idea that one could be something or get something or go somewhere or achieve something or not achieve something. That kind of nagging tendency, you know, I call it nostalgia for I am. Now, if you're walking meditation, to return to that, we might very well feel, well, walking, I am walking. Well, what does that mean? Who is walking? What walks? I am doesn't walk, does it? It's just the notion, it's got no feet on it. (laughs) It's just the kind of hovering notion that doesn't do much other than hover and worry. And try to have or try to get rid of something. It's the bhava, vibhava, becoming, not becoming. That's what's what I am is busy with. It doesn't do walking. So let's just how how does a body walk? It's more the inquiry. How does it, how does it do it? Since it does it, you know, and so well, it's my feet. No, your feet don't walk. You put you, they don't walk without having legs on them, do they? <laughs> legs don't walk if they're not connected to, uh, to the rest of the body. And they can't walk if there's no intention to walk. Right, So whole body and mental intention to walk and also constant sensitivity. Otherwise, you know, you walk into a tree or you fall over, There's something's got to keep sensing, balance, upright, orientation, you know, keeping this because it's a very fluid experience walking, the weight shifting from one leg to another, the body turning to mediate that weight shift smoothly so we don't lurch and stumble like a robot. You know, so as your weight's coming onto your left leg, say your left leg, then your right side kind of softens in order to create a counterbalance. A bit like swimming. hmm? And if we're not, Driven with this idea of going somewhere or getting something or getting into samadhi or anything, any either going somewhere physically or psychologically, and we're just walking. We're emptying out that that notion of walking into the direct realization of walking, and the direct realization of walking is of various, fluid, uh, and ephemeral and transient. Modalities of physicality and sensation and energy and mental intention and mental apprehension that's too, that's cold, that's soft, that's you know, mental receptivity all flowing together. Otherwise, we couldn't be walking, or well, not real walking, not walking that feels comfortable. There'll be walking to go somewhere which is not comfortable. Walking to go somewhere can never be comfortable, because, where are you? You're either in trying to become, get to there, or trying to get away from. That's not comfortable. Walking, most comfortably, just walks. And there's no particular point in your body, like if you only walked focusing on your feet, wouldn't get very far at all. Because You've got to move your legs and your hips to get it going. And if you're not attentive to that whole process, what kind of walking is that? If you're not attentive to, to the whole quality of what walking is about, it's not walking, is it? It's hopping or something, but it's not walking. So to be mindful of walking means you're mindful of walking. Yeah, okay. And so and that's the instruction. So chankama, be mindful of walking up and down, not be mindful of a sensation in your foot which you, you know you could do some if you wanted to do that you could do that but if you if you want to do walking then you you walk and feel the wholeness of walking and really you know treating the really wondering at the amazing intelligence of the body that can do this you know this column of flesh and bone of several feet in height of innumerable pounds managing to maintain an upright posture and only have one foot on the ground at a time without crashing falling over that requires you know if you try to figure out which muscle to move you couldn't do it the body knows how to do it Could we respect and listen into that that unspoken, wordless intelligence, the flowing, the way the energies know each other, the tissues know each other, tones mean things to the body, sensations mean things, it knows how to do it, it knows what the, the language of sensation and energy is a rich language for a body, it knows how to do walking. Could our citta respect and listen into that so deeply that what's going around me is not my concern. I don't have to ram my mind into some constricted pattern to block out obstructions. If I'm really interested in this, uh, something's going on out there. It's not really not my issue. So I'm really marvelling at this. And how, from moment to moment, it's never quite the same. So There's always a slight different nuance of mind or body or sensation or energy that's that's occurring. So we stay in that fresh flow. And there's a certain rapture in walking and a certain samadhi in walking, which is the samadhi of harmony. In which any of these factors, you know, None of them can exist independently. None of them have lasting existence. None of them are self. Mm-hmm. They just arise the and pass. And their blending gives rise to this experience of walking. And this, and then, if the citta is wide, open to that, sensitive to that, listening to that, there is a feeling, a happy, feeling to it. It's smooth, it's rhythmic, it's enjoyable. Mm -hmm. And the harmony, above all, is enjoyable. This is the Samadhi of walking. And within this, naturally, it's not, it takes us some care and attention. So you're developing the wisdom of skillful means. I'm exploring you know how to relax the shoulders when you walk how to you know keep the chest open when you walk how to make it so the body feels as comfortable possible as as possible when you walk the head is not bent over the jaw is not rigid the hands feel light the body feels light and fluid how does that happen and I can just get in and relax that a little bit and just put more energy into the spine and let the chest open Mm. and don't take one step Mm. don't take the next step until you finish this one just, you know don't be planning the next one until you've done this one (laughs) Just get that one down and then you get the sense of touch and that's the signal for the other foot to lift. You get the sense of touch, the foot hits the ground, that's the signal for the hip, the other hip to lift. And you play, let those play, those signals play, be received by the body. And of course, when this is a skillful means, because most of our lives, we have walked in order to get somewhere and so, somewhere rather quickly but the main thing is to get there so the mind is taken over the mind walks the I am walks the I am to get the I am to get away from that's walks and that overrides that becomes the dominant experience of walking As hard, the body is hardly there scurries along underneath this this I am thing and when that, and the idea with generally is to get there pretty fast. So you're certainly two steps ahead of where you're at already. You, you know, when you see something with your eyes, your mind is already at that destination point. You see the kitchen or the car or the gateway or something, your mind is already there. And then just drags this thing behind it get there so feet scurry along uh people don't really walk they don't they don't let their body weight rest on a foot get that signal as your body as your foot comes down you get the sense of the foot touching the ground the softness and then that landing signal that causes the other leg to rise in fact we never land if we're if I am walking, we never touch the ground because we're not interested in the ground. We're interested in where we're going. And just going to skip along. So this is very broken walking, incoherent walking. And this habit must be uh, changed, must be dismantled. And how is it dismantled? You, know, you could keep really putting more... Quality attention into the textures of the body as you walk, yeah. But also really helpful to be aware of the power of the visual focus in 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 this in this activity, because all our lives we have followed our eyes, mm. like the sheep that follow the sheep dog. Looks at them, mm. driven off that way. There you get the, the pointed eyes stare at a point and there's a hardening of attention and the body scurries down this straight line which the straight line is the optimal way to get where we're going the straight line is the optimal because that's minimi- minimizing time. The straight line Holds the body into a non fluid mode. It struts or it skips or it. You know, so the fluidity of the body gets lost and the overriding quality is a sense of intention that goes forward. This agitates the mind such that there's often a kind of struggle between the intention to sustain it but something because of the unpleasantness of their grip aspects of the mind start leaking out they want to go play <laughs> somewhere else <laughs> or get somewhere else because this is not agreeable so they start wanting so a bit more pressure to hold it together comes on you get this kind of process of all communication becomes quite unpleasant no harmony mm-hmm. We must check that. Soften the eyes. Soften the gaze. You they're saying in the, in the Bali. You have they when they have houses, they have an entrance that goes into the house and the little entrance passageway. Then there's a screen, so you can't go straight in. You've got to go round. The screen rather like this screen here and they say this keeps the demons out because it's uh, demons always going straight lines <laughs> so having this this thing where they've got to turn a corner they can't do it demons can't turn corners they're going to go in straight lines so this screen helps keep the demons out of the house <laughs> it's a good thing to remember because when you get into that straight line mentality, what do you think the shape of your <laughs> mind is like? <laughs> it's not very angelic. Mm. So, time for some cultivation. Uh, cultivate the skillful means for realization. Okay, well. um.